Tafelul, Tafshinayin Zayin, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Avinu Malkenu, Hanenu Vanenu, Kien Banu Masim. Avinu Malkenu, Hanenu Vanenu, Kien Banu Masim. Avinu Yossi Idan, brand new music, Avinu Malkenu. It's a little bit of a different beat for Avinu Malkenu than what we're used to, but it also thanks Avinu Malkenu for all the beautiful things that he's given us recently, like Medina Israel and other things. My name is Mayor Weigott, and welcome in to uh, a live edition, yet another live edition of the Israel Show. We are here each and every Monday, immediately following Jamie in the AM, 9 AM Eastern, 4 PM Israel time, around the world, wherever you are, you're tuned in live. We are on at the time that you are tuned in. If you want to tune in later or you want to tell your friends about this uh, fascinating and fabulous program, please do so because they can listen whenever they want, at on demand, at their leisure. Just go to uh, the Nahum Siegel Network app, available for I, I, Apple and for Android, or on the website of the Nachum Siegel Network. Go to the archives. There they all are. Well, today we will begin part one of the fascinating story of Israel's hunt for Nazi war criminal Joseph Mengele. And um, the reason we're able to talk now with greater authority 
about this story is because the Mossad has uh, finally opened up their file to Israeli journalist and, and, and expert on intelligence, Ronen Bergman, who wrote a multi-page, very long article in Idiota Chonot magazine of the Weekend magazine on the topic. He also wrote an op-ed piece in the New York Times. I don't know. I, I saw it online. I believe it, it was printed in Sunday's New York Times. Not 100% sure which New York Times it was printed in. Um, the article is dated September 6, 2017, yet it's called Sunday Review. So I'm not really sure, but it's online. We'll post it for you. Um, the title of the article, Why Did Israel Let Mengele Go? And that's really what we're going to be talking about. We're going to give you part one, part two next week. Because in July of 1962, the Mossad agents that were looking for Joseph Mengele, most of whom were the same group that just a few years before that found Adolf Eichmann, kidnapped him, got him to Israel, and brought him to justice, those same agents reported from Brazil that they found him, that they found Mengele. And they were expecting to get this uh, their go-ahead, and, and Tzvi Aharoni, who was the, the person who identified Eichmann and then identified Mengele as well, said in an interview that uh, took place many years later, he said that they were on a high. They were ready to get the okay to capture Mengele, bring him to justice in Israel, just like he did with Eichmann. And yet the answer that came back was, no, drop it. Just drop it. Don't, do, don't take any further action, don't, you know, other than just surveillance or whatever. And um, this is, I think, one of the most interesting parts. of this. There's a lot of interesting parts. There are a lot of interesting... I have a list so far of about six lessons that I think we can learn as, as a, the Jewish nation from, uh, from the story that's being told. We will get to all of that coming up. We uh, have lots and lots of great new, brand new, really exciting music from Israel. Uh, first one, and I'll tell you, this, this, the next two that I'm going to play, this one and the one that we'll play later on, um, this one's called Rufainu Hashem, Ariel Zilber, the one following that is Yismach Libi, Yoni Genot, are, have just captivated me. I can't stop listening to them. You know how you get into a song and gets into your head, you can't stop listening to it. This one, Rufainu Hashem, Ariel Zilber, famous Israeli uh, artist, composer, singer, and so forth, um, who um, at some point in his life went from being non-observant Israeli rock star to observant Israeli rock star. <laughs> so he composed this and uh, put it out literally um, within the last week. The link to it, because you're going to hear it, you're going to want to hear it again, I'm sure. So there's going to be a link to it on our Facebook page. The link to that and to all the songs we play during the show, to their YouTube videos on um, facebook.com slash the Israel show you can go there later on here is Ariel Zilber my name is Mayor Weingarten you are tuned to the source of great new Israeli music the Israel show on the Nachum Siegel Network
Ariel Zilber, brand new music from Israel, Rifainu Hashem. Something about it, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but there's something just about that song that has captivated me. I cannot stop listening to it. It's got such a, a there's a quality, a, a bit, a, a, the fast part where, you know, it gets faster. There's some Kalbachian-ness, Kalbachian-ness to it that just, like, scoops you up, just enthralls you. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. So as we um, told you before, we're going to deal with the recently released files that the Mossad has given to um, Israeli journalist Ronen Bergman, who's an expert, real insider with information from Mossad and other intelligence agencies. He's written extensively on many different issues regarding um, regarding Israel's history, the history of modern Israel and the um, Mossad and the wars and other, other issues that intelligence operations um, are important for. Um, so let's um, start from the beginning. We're going to um, introduce you to Joseph Mengele. Um, I, I I know that the older generations knows exactly who Joseph Mengele was, but I I I, I wonder how much of the younger generation knows who he was. So he was a Nazi SS officer who is best known. I should say he was infamous for his job and his conduct in Auschwitz. He was a physician. He actually was a doctor, believe it or not. And as such, he carried out inhumane medical experimentation on concentration camp prisoners. He decided that um, he's got a great opportunity to carry out human experiments, experiments using humans to, to see, to confirm various theories that he had or to discover new things. And he literally used the inmates at Auschwitz as his human guinea pigs. And it was with a viciousness, with a sadism that is hard to imagine focus specifically, I mean, he did everyone, but also there was a specific focus on twins. He had this psychosis, I guess you would say, about trying to study and understand the relationship between twins. He would he would inject a set of twins with different poisons and see if they died in the same amount of time or one was survived more. I mean, it's it's really hard to even talk about how sadistic and evil he was. He is also known for being one of those who would stand on the train platform when the Jewish cattle cars with the Jews, mainly from Hungary at that time, were coming into Auschwitz and the what we know as the selection, the selectia, where he would signal with his hand as a someone would come before him on the platform, he would signal to the other German soldiers there, take them to the right or take them to the left, take them to the right meant keep them alive, they were young, they could work, or he wanted to do experiments on them. To the left was straight to the gas chambers in the crematoria. So just with the flick of his wrist, Mengele became a person they called the angel of death. Not that those who lived had such a great existence there in Auschwitz, but 
there were those who survived at least and went on to live lives after the war. It's been said that he was one of the most ruthless Nazis, and as anyone can imagine, that's no small thing. It's interesting that, just from what I know, what I had in my head before I started doing some research over the last few days for for this show, I always thought that Mengele was the chief physician of Auschwitz. He was the head doctor. And that he alone was the one who did the selectia. But um, I discovered, not that this dissipates in any which way, it's just interesting how we set in our head certain things and when it's when we look further, we discover that the history is a little bit different. But basically, there were the selectia was done by numerous different officers who would rotate amongst them. But it seems that Mengele particularly enjoyed that horrific job and would be there often even when it wasn't his shift. Maybe that's why he got that notoriety. And the fact that he wasn't the chief physician, just one of many physicians there, doesn't really change anything. Now, it's important to note that SS officers, as he was, were all tattooed in the underarm area with a tattoo that indicated their blood type. And after the war, that helped those who were hunting the Nazis to identify SS officers by that tattoo. If they had the tattoo, that's one of the first things they looked for on Eichmann when they captured him. For some reason or another, and rather ironically, Mengele did not have that tattoo. And what do I say ironically? Because Mengele's victims in Auschwitz, they all got tattooed. They all got a number tattoo on their arm. And Auschwitz was the only camp that did that. Another interesting thing that I learned not that long ago, because I thought all the Jews who went through camps were given a number. The number... If, if, if you see a holy person who has such a number tattooed on their arm, that means that they were in Auschwitz. So that was the irony that he tattooed everybody else, but he didn't have a tattoo. At the end of the war, the high-ranking Nazis at the end of the war did everything they could to escape. There was the famous Nuremberg trials. Those were the ones that they caught. The Allies caught about 10 or 11 of them, and they put them on trial. Most of them were hanged. But many, many others got away. They ran and and decided that they were going to, you know, they, they didn't think it was so, it was terrible what they did. They, they deserved to continue living and uh, move on now that the war is over. So Mengele found himself in the custody of the United States Armed Forces. But because he didn't have that tattoo, and because they weren't aware of the name Mengele yet at that point, early on after the war's end, they let him go. He wasn't on any war criminal list and so forth. So not having that tattoo in that case bought him his freedom. And listen to this, from this summer of 1945 until 1949, the spring of 1949, we're talking about four years, under false papers, he worked as a farmhand in Bavaria, right in, in the, right there in Germany. Is it not like crazy shocking that he was able to live quietly for four years undisturbed in Bavaria, did no one know who he was? Of course they did. Couldn't be that they didn't know who he was. Or did no one choose to know who he was? You wonder, right? Well, then he ran scared in 1949. And we'll pick that up after the uh, the next song. What, why he ran scared in 1949 and decided to run away to South America. And why, we'll pick up the story from there. Another brand new song 
that has really got me going. The words for this song were written by Rav Cook, Rav Avram Yitzchak Kohen Cook. The melody was written by Yoni Gennard, who also sings together with uh, one half of the Madre Goat and with the boys' choir of the Merkaz Harav High School Yeshiva Choir. That's called the Merkaz Litzirim. How appropriate. Talmidim in Rav Cook's Yeshiva. It's a song from Motzei Shabbat. In Motzei Shabbat we sing about Eliyahu Anavi. Yismach li bivikirbi, my 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 insides will rejoice. Viagel damiva chalavi, viarom v'nisamatzavi, my my whole attitude, everything about me will be heightened. Let yakitzar yevlavi, when the lion will awaken. Velokeavi liavi et Eliyahuanavi, and um, the God of my forefathers will bring Eliyahuanavi. With cook you may know, was an amazing poet amongst all the other things that he was. And um, this is a great example of of, of his poetry. My entire body will be filled with joy My nights will turn into the dawning of the sun. My children who are scattered all over different places, they will be collected together in herds. And they will sing from the tops of the mountains to collect, so to speak, all those who have been scattered to the land of uh, of the um, figs and grapes that's just some of the words uh, hope you enjoy it as much as I do Yismachli B words by Rav Cook melody and singing by Yoni Genot and the Shvat Merkaz Litzirim Choir brand new debuting here on The Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. את אליהו הנביא אלוהי אבי לי אבי את אליהו הנביא וניחומים ימלו כליותיי וששון ידע שן עצמותיי ומציון תבונה תנחומותיי
You're only getting it with the um, Yeshiva Merkaz Litzirim Choir, and um, I can't remember his first name. Damari is the last name. The uh, half of the Madre Goat duo singing Yoni Genut composed words by Rav Cook. I uh, I didn't translate the last paragraph before the song, but I want to translate it now. It is so beautiful, and it is not only prophetic, but it fits into the theme of uh, of what we're talking about today. V'chalashim nidkaim the uh, weak and the brokenhearted yimal'u givurah will be filled with courage, with feeling of heroism, courage. Is that not what happened after the Holocaust? That those Holocaust survivors that decided after what they went through they were going to go to Eretz Israel, like the Atzimot Yiveshot, they got up, they got on the boats, they went to Israel, they fought to get in, they fought the British, and then they were given ammunition. Not, not even five years passed. What am I talking about? Five years, two years, from the end of the war until they were given weapons and told to go and 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 fight. And they were halashim nitkaim, and then they became courageous and showed acts of heroism in the Israeli army as they defeated the Arab countries that surrounded them. So he's quoting from uh, the Perak of Tehillim that we say that, uh, and also from the, in the bench when we talk about Sukkot David and Ophelet, that that Sukkah, that really temporary and rather unstable home or hut that falls will become a wall a strong fortified wall a choma bitsura uli Israel ye amer ura ura and God will tell the Jewish people arise v'yashuv ufarach and the land and the people will return and will blossom and will flower. My heart will will be as reborn. Remember that Rav Cook died before the Holocaust, well before the Holocaust. And here he's literally prophesying how those who come out of the concentration camps, those skeletons will be filled with courage. They will build this fortified wall. They will awaken, and the land of Israel and the people of Israel will flourish as as never before. And that's what's happening as we speak. We're talking about. We'll go back to now to the uh, the uh, amazing story of uh, the. Uh, the search for Yosef Mengele after World War II, the Nazi, infamous Nazi doctor from Auschwitz. So we said that in, from 45 to 49, imagine this, for four years he lived quietly in Germany, in Bavaria. Bavaria is part of, um, part of Germany. It's like uh, Germany has different states, just like the United States has you know, different states. New York, each one has like its own name. Uh, but uh, on the whole, they're the United States. So Germany also has a, such a division the capital of Bavaria is Munich. Okay, so you you understand that he was he was at home to some extent, right? It's hard for me to imagine that for four years this man was living and working in Bavaria and nobody knew who he was. But I don't think that very many Germans really cared or wanted to turn in former Nazis high-ranking Nazi officers didn't seem to matter. But he ran scared in 49 and he left. And he he was able to get, with the aid of Nazi connections in the Red Cross, Eichmann used connections in the Catholic Church. There were still many, many people in Europe who were ready 
even in 49, four years after the war, when all the horrors of the Holocaust were already known, there were still people ready to help these Nazi criminals, subhumans, um, to get out and run away from justice. In 49, the Nazi hunters began, not began, but they, they, they're, they were felt, their presence was felt. Simon Wiesenthal and others who began putting out lists of, of Nazis that are still out there, that weren't caught, that weren't brought to justice. And so Mengele realized that they're, they're going to they're gonna find him. He was hiding out in the open, so to speak. And so he decided he was going to go down to, uh, to South America and got an assumed name, and he went to Argentina. Argentina and other South American countries welcomed Nazi criminals, Nazi the, the, the Nazi officers, the high officers of Nazi Germany. They, they happily gave them coverage. They happily gave them a secure place to live and cover it up for them, even though they knew who they were. That is another amazing thing. And for like 10, 11 years, imagine this, this, this horrific, evil angel of death, Mengele, lived in Argentina a good life, really the high life. Here's just an example to, to, to tell you how nobody really... This didn't bother anyone. In 1954, he got divorced. So, being that he was, uh, even under his assumed name, he was a a German citizen. So, he had to go to the West German Embassy in Buenos Aires, in Brazil, in in Argentina. And um, file his official divorce papers. You know, he didn't even go under his assumed name. The divorce papers, and this is something that now comes out in the Mossad uh, in the Mossad file, which they've revealed, his divorce papers, they have a copy of it, is under his real name. It's under Joseph Mengele. That's how secure he felt at the time in, in 1954. During those 10, 11 years, he and all the other Nazis that fled there, they had a little cl- group, a little clique. They would get together. They would talk and schmooze about how terrible it was that the Germans lost and how they're going to have to you know, re- rebuild the Reich and, and, and all this other stuff. They did interviews. There's an interview that Eichmann gave to uh, a German Nazi reporter. There was an underground Nazi paper that was put out in Germany, and Eichmann gave them an interview. Mengele wrote articles, not under his real name, under an assumed name, but they, they had a good time. They were doing fine. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine. And where is West Germany in all this? They knew exactly where Mengele was. It wasn't until 1959. Wow. So if the war ends in 45, it's 14 years later. West Germany issues a warrant for Mengele's arrest and they request extradition in 1960 from Argentina. Where were they? They just weren't interested. Really? Germany just wasn't interested. And even when they did ask for extradition, they they didn't pursue it. You know? Argentina said, no, we're not interested. And Germany said, okay, that was it. And by the way, that resulted in the capture of Eichmann. Because when a Jewish member of the um, Ministry of Justice in Germany saw what was happening, that Germany really wasn't caring, wasn't going to do anything, he leaked to the Mossad a lot of information that we were able to later use and utilize in the capture of, uh, of Eichmann. In 1960, the good life of the Nazis in Argentina ends for only one reason. It would have gone on like this forever. But the Israeli Mossad captures Adolf Eichmann in 1960. I would assume 
based on everything I've read, and there's a lot of great material about the capture of Eichmann, and I, I, I would uh, maybe next week I'll have the name of one or two books that you can read it in English. It's just an amazing. You talk about how the 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 survivors of the Holocaust came and had a, a tremendous feeling of of empowerment and of of heroism and courage. Numerous Mossad members that were on this team were children that went through the Holocaust or whose parents were killed in the Holocaust. And they had the guts, the temerity, the chutzpah to infiltrate, to do a million different tachbulot in order to capture Eichmann. And they felt that they were close to capturing Mengele. Those were the two big names that they were after, Eichmann and Mengele. They got Eichmann, but Mengele got away. How he got away, why he got away, well, we'll play another song and then we'll uh, we'll see how much time we have left for that and we'll continue after, we'll continue the story and we'll hopefully bring it to an end next week. Um, this is also brand new music. We spoke at many times about Uri Orbach, Zichronoli Vracha, a wonderful, wonderful Jew who, in the short life that he lived, I think he died in his 40s, accomplished so much. He was a journalist. He was a religious Zionist journalist who made it really to the top of the uh, of of his field in journalism. Then he decided to go into politics and did very well. And he's the one who brought Naftali Bennett into the Bayit HaYehudi and built up the Bayit HaYehudi party from a very small party to to a party that today is is uh, right up there, rivaling for uh, rivaling for political uh, power with the Likud. One of the things that Uri Orbach did was he wrote children's books. It's like like how many things is since one person. He had a radio show. He just did so much. He was such a very special person. He wrote children's books for religious Zionist children. It's just so cool. And somebody somebody by the name of Nir Seri decided to compose, put music to some of the um, poems that he wrote in the children's books. And it's um, being put out now. So three songs were released last week, and we're bringing them to you. The first, we're going to bring to you only one, but we'll bring them to you as time goes on in the next weeks. This one's called Dvarim Shahiti Mamtsi, Things That I Would Invent, by Uri Orbach. Dvarim Shahiti Mamtsi O Misader, Things That I Would Invent or, or Try to Work Out. Shaloyered Geshem Befurim Uvis Sukkot, That It Shouldn't Rain On Purim And It Shouldn't Rain On Sukkot. Mizuzah, I would try and invent a mezuzah a mezuzah that gives back a kiss too. Not only that you kiss it, it kisses you back. Mitriyah, an umbrella that you should be allowed to open on Shabbat. Birthday, we should be able to celebrate birthdays twice a week. Or at least once. Matzah lefesach aval pachot mitporer Matzah, the Pesach Matzah should leave less crumbs. He's going to invent a matzah that leaves less crumbs. Shalom Aleichem Mangina Mitporer Matzah Lefesach Aval Pachot Mitporeret Shalom Aleichem Mangina Acheret The song that we sing on Arab Shabbat, usually there's one or two melodies so he's hoping he's going to invent another one. Shekola Mamtakim Yuk Sherim Vishiyen Ikud Bechol Asfarim That all the candies should be kosher. <laughs> I think in America we've almost reached that. Vishiyen Ikud Bechol Asfarim That all the books that I have to read should have the dots, Nikudot, um, the vowel punctuation for uh, for Hebrew those um, that kids need in order to be able to read. Haiti Mamtsi Lulav Shalomit Parek Ve'ozen Haman Aval Shebifnim Yehyeh I would invent a lulav that doesn't fall apart and a hamantashin ozen haman that has nothing inside. It's just the doughy part, which he likes. So, Daniel Zamir is the um, the singer and he plays also the, uh, I believe, clarinet and trumpet winds. Um, the name of the album 
Ulai Bishabat Yizrikus Sukariot, which is the name of one of Uri uh, Orbach's books. And this is Dvarim Shahiti Mamtsi. We'll have the link to the YouTube video of the song as well on our uh, Facebook page after the show. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. by Uri Orbach Zechorno Livracha from his children's books Ulai B'Shabbat Yizrakus Sukariot is the name of the album and the name of the book, one of the books and the song is Dvarim Shahiti Mamtsi Daniel Zamir brought us that brand new look out for that album I don't know when it's coming out but we'll let you know about it don't worry um, I want to finish off with something positive we'll do one more um, little piece about the Mengele story, and we'll continue it next week. Um, Rafi Eitan, who is one of the few people still alive from that group that of the Mossad that were hunting the Nazis, um, said in an interview this week, after uh, last week actually, after the file was, uh, was publicized, the Mossad file, and I thank uh, our listeners and friends, Saul Lieberman, for calling this interview to our attention. He said, that the head of Mossad, Isra Harel, at the time, told them that while they captured Eichmann and they held him in a safe house for quite a while until they figured out how to get him out. Because, as you can imagine, the Argentinian government was very upset that Israel came and took away their Nazi. One of the 
people responsible for the final solution. You know that the UN condemned Israel for that, right? <laughs> it's like crazy. Anyway, Rafi Eitan claims that Isser Harel, the head of the Mossad, told them, while you're waiting and you have Eichmann, and Eichmann was giving them information, get Mengele and bring them back together on this. However we're going to get back Eichmann, we'll get, back, we'll get Mengele back in the same way and we'll, you know, try them. And it seems that they were close at the time to finding him. And Rafi Eitan said, there's so much that can go wrong. And when you read the book about how they captured him and how they snuck him out, of Argentina. They had to sneak him out of Argentina. It's unbelievable. And, and they could have been caught in so many different ways. And Baruch Hashem, they weren't. But he, his, I understand his concern where he says, look, there's so many things that can go wrong here just getting Eichmann out that if we add on to that, if we put on to that an additional weight of another pursuit and kidnapping and, and so forth of Mengele, we may end up losing both of them. And so they just, and, but he promised, Rafi Yatan said, I promise you that after Eichmann gets to Israel, we will come back and we will search for Mengele. And they did. Next week we'll get to all the, to more details. But to me it would seem also that, look, Eichmann's family knew that he was gone. He didn't come home that night. His wife went and alerted the other Nazis in their group that, her husband never came home. They understood right away. They understood that it was the Israelis. Who else Who else would it be? It wasn't Germans. It wasn't Argentinians. So this clique of Germans, you know, there's a book, the Odessa File. There was actually this organization called Odessa, which was a, a group of high-ranking Nazis who fled to South America and who stuck together and helped themselves helped each other and there were people from Germany who were helping them as well. So the word went out that Eichmann was captured, so the other one just scattered. So this great life that they were living, and it really was. They were really living the, the good life in Argentina. That ended in nineteen sixty when Israel captured Eichmann and then they all scurried and all were petrified. Thank God, at least from that point on till the end of their lives, each one of them that Israel was going was gonna to find them and, and bring them to Israel and, and put them up uh, for justice and, and kill them, which is what they deserved. So um, we'll continue the, the Mengele story next week. What happened? They lost his trail on and on again, off again, and then they finally found him in 62, and yet they were told by their head office not to pursue it, and they never got him. So what happened to him? how they found out what happened to him. All this we'll talk about next week. I, I, I said to you before that I wrote up a few of the things that we learn from this whole episode. So the ones that we've spoken about, the groups within the Catholic Church and the Red Cross helped high-ranking Nazis escape to South America after knowing what the, what, what the Holocaust was all about. Tells us a lot about attitudes of, of the world towards the Jews. South American countries, many, Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil for sure, gave safe haven to Nazis, to high-ranking Nazi officials. They knew exactly who they were, and they, they gave them safe haven and allowed them to live there and, and fought any extradition and any other type of attempt to get them out. Another thing, that Germany didn't really pursue the Nazi war criminals. They just didn't. And neither did the U.S. And after a while, it seems that for at least an interim period, Israel also stopped, although they continued, they went on to continue again. And I do want to point out something. Today, 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 the day that we're talking to you live, Prime Minister Netanyahu is visiting Argentina. He arrived in Argentina today for a uh, South America, Latin America trip, which is supposed to be a very important diplomatic mission and in Argentina there were groups that posted pictures of Netanyahu all over the cities that he's going to be in Netanyahu looking like Hitler you know they they photoshopped the picture and pasted it all over because of course Netanyahu is at the head of a 
Nazi-like country, so they say. So do some Israelis and, and the radical left say. And I can't imagine, I mean, in my mind, just the chutzpah of Argentina who hosted the high-ranking Nazi SS officers. The same, very same Argentina is expressing these anti-Semitic, openly, overtly anti-Semitic, not the government, but people there, and that's quite enough. All right, well, I wanted to finish on a positive note. Yet again, I have run out of time. So, we'll do it next week. This show needs to be like five hours long, but no way. <laughs> Please remember in your tefillot, Uri Avraham ben Elisheva, for a refuah Uri Avraham ben Elisheva. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. New, coming up. Right after the uh, right after the Israel show, Yoni Pollock with after further review, a new show covering the latest in the world of sports. After that, Nachum Siegel has recommended highly listening to headlines with uh, David Lichtenstein, in which he explores the Satmar attitude towards the state of Israel. And after that, Great Monday Music Marathon. Until next Monday, following JM in the AM. This is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.
והמזבח. 